You know, I'm just reminded that uh, that baptism is, it just reminds me that like life is just a mess, isn't it? And it's just, there's chaos in the world and God comes and does his thing in the midst of the chaos. Are we good now? Is everything good now? Okay, good. Nope. <laughs> but uh, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? That uh, We all feel that way sometimes. Um, she just hasn't developed those inhibitors yet, but we all know how that is, right? Stevie, thank you for being here, sweetie. Question for you, church. I want to invite you to consider, is there anything in your life, in your world that keeps you awake at night? Are there things that, that go through your mind? Do you worry about things? Maybe you worry about your job. Maybe you worry about your finances. Maybe you worry about your kids. Maybe you worry about your kid's job. Maybe you worry about your parents. Maybe you're excited about something. Maybe you're just bored. On the other hand, maybe you're one of those people that uh, the entire world could be coming crashing down around you and you go to bed at night and you're out in three minutes or less. Those people do exist as well. What keeps you awake at night? We have Jesus here in our text today and he is facing his own probable suffering and death. He's, he's looking for a way out. He's, he's hoping there's some chance that he can get out of where he thinks he's going. And he is going to pray to his Abba, his loving Heavenly Father. And so while Jesus is facing what seems to be the end of his life, one of his best friends and his right-hand man, Peter, and James and John, are over not too far away, probably within an earshot, and they are falling asleep on the job. Jesus gave them pretty much one command. I need you to wait here and stay alert. Wait here and watch. A.K.A. make sure nobody is coming because I need a warning. I'm going to go and I'm going to pray. Peter falls asleep. Jesus goes and prays comes back, Peter is asleep again. Jesus goes and prays, come back, Peter is asleep a third time. We see this character, Simon Peter. We've been watching him for weeks now, and it's strange because usually he's the guy who is always rushing into things. He's always, he's always there, rising up, being the first one to speak up, being the first one to act, and yet all of a sudden we find a guy who can't even stay awake. Kind of a strange thing, isn't it? It also reminds me of a time earlier in the Gospel of Mark when Jesus was asleep and all the disciples were awake. They were on a boat in the Sea of Galilee and a storm rose up and the storm was tossing the boat back and forth and water was coming over the side of the boat and into the boat and the disciples were truly scared that they were going to die. And they wake up Jesus, Jesus, get up, get up, get up. Jesus wakes up. Looks out, says, be still, calms the storm. Looks at him and says, have you no faith? Isn't that funny? Kind of a strange thing. Jesus is awake and the disciples are asleep. Yet at other times, Jesus is asleep and the disciples are awake. 
What keeps you awake? And are the things that keep you awake the things that keep Jesus awake? Or the things that keep you awake the things that Jesus tells us not to worry about? You know, this is like a thermostat for life. Our thermostat kind of tells us in your house, your thermostat will tell you if it gets too cold, the thermostat says to the heater, hey, you need to, to turn on and give us a little heat. And then the heater jumps on and it brings the temperature up. And, you know, we're kind of getting to that time of year where it's going the other way, isn't it? It gets a little warm in the house. The thermostat tells the air conditioner, hey, we're getting a little hot. You need to bring it down just a little bit. That's what a good regulator, a good thermostat does. Well, Jesus and Peter seem to be on different thermostats. The things that are meant to wake him up are, are not waking Peter up. And, and times when he should just be relaxing and resting, he's not relaxing and resting. Why do Peter and Jesus seem to have different thermostats? I think the answer is that Peter is still not on the right track. He's, he's, been on, he's been following Jesus, but he hasn't been exactly behind Jesus. He's, he's been kind of off to the side. It's like when I take my kids skiing. I don't have to do this anymore, but when I taught them how to ski, and I remember I'd have to ski and one of my kids would be either to the right or to the left, and I'd have to stick my pole back, and I'd have to pull them. But, but I wasn't really pulling them in my tracks. I'd be pulling them over here. And in the same way, Peter might be following Jesus, but he's not on the exact same track as Jesus is. And when you're not on the exact same track as Jesus is, you're going to not get some things. You're going to misunderstand some things. You see, in Peter's mind, Jesus is still going to lead a military revolt. That's the job description of the Messiah. In Peter's mind, that would entail the Messiah overthrowing the powers that be, which happened to be the Romans at this time, drive out the current corrupt Jewish leadership, establish order in Jerusalem, and then and therefore around the world, all the nations would come streaming to Jerusalem. And Peter gets to be in on the ground floor of this Messiah who's going to take over the world. And Peter cannot imagine it in his track being anything other than a military kind of takeover. This is why when the high priest Police show up to get Jesus. Peter pulls his sword and goes to swinging. It's not that he's not courageous in this track or in this way. He cuts off the, the servant of the high priest's ear. It's why Peter says to Jesus when Jesus says that I must die and be raised on the third day, Peter pulls him aside and says, Jesus, that's not the job description of the Messiah. You are not, you don't have to die. Which Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He's on the wrong track. It's why the disciples don't get it when Jesus tells them three times, I must suffer and die and be killed. It doesn't compute. It doesn't register. 
there's a good chance that's even why Judas Iscariot did what he did. That if Judas Iscariot really believed that Jesus was the Messiah, then something had to provoke that. And it was time for it to happen. It's not until later they all realize that they were on the wrong track. I mean, it was just a few days before on what we today call Palm Sunday that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey. The king has come to town. He's already overturned things in the temple. It's about to be showtime. And so if Jesus is just going to simply take care of business, then why would Peter need to stay awake in the first place? He's not on the right track. You know, Jesus might have well been speaking a different language, a language foreign to Peter. Because even though he spoke to him in plain home terms, it just didn't register. Furthermore, it seems like Peter can't really, there, there's something keeping him from getting onto Jesus' track, from getting right behind him and following in his ways. Maybe it's his own pride. It's his own ambition. It's his own desire to do his thing. It's his own understanding of who God is. His, his, his theology is pretty good, but it's just off a little bit. These are the kinds of things that keep Peter and us from getting in line. In fact, the only thing that will get Peter off of his current track and onto Jesus's will be Jesus's arrest, followed by Peter's three-part denial. It's probably no coincidence that Peter falls asleep three times and then denies Jesus three times, resulting in Peter's own track crashing into a dead end. His own version of how this story was to unfold hits a brick wall. It's only until he loses all hope in his way of how he thinks it should play out that he can begin to think about switching tracks. Only after Jesus' death and then subsequent resurrection Will it all make sense? Only then will it make sense to answer those questions. What does it mean to be a king? What, is it, what does it mean for Jesus to rule? What does it really mean when Jesus tells Peter, follow me and you will catch people? What would it really look like to live out that title that has been given to him, the rock? Once he switches tracks, the, the truths are still there, but the, the meaning of them changes. The kingdom of God is, is not what he thought it was going to be. Jesus' ruling is not what he thought it was going to look like. It's better, it's deeper, it's greater. 
We have Jesus in this Garden of Gethsemane lying on the ground, prostrate before the Lord. Jews knew how to pray. They knew how to pray hard. They knew how to put all their guts out there before God. There are more psalms of lament in the psalm book than any other kind of psalm. They knew how to agonize before the Lord. We tend to not know how to do that as well in our culture. We find ourselves all kinds of other distractions rather than taking our full self before the Lord in prayer. This prayer of lament. And that's really the calling during this Lenten season for each of us. It's really the calling during this holy week. We, in one day, will gather back in this place and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But that celebration will only go so far as we are able to enter into His death. For it is only when we die with Christ that will we be raised with Him. It's only when we participate in His death. It's only when we say, I have been crucified with Christ, that we can say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. The temptation in our world is just to not think negatively. It's just to not have those bad thoughts. It's just to think positively, to tell ourselves, I've got this, I can do this. No, that's the wrong track. That's the track Peter was on. You can't do this. We can't do this. Too often people's track comes to that very end and they then realize Oh, I've been doing this all on my own and adding a little God on the side. But instead, he wants to be in the middle. I can imagine Peter looking back after that Easter Sunday thinking, it's starting to all make sense to me now. All those things Jesus said. I, I see them through a different lens Peter's journey is our journey. He has given each of us a great example of ourselves, like a mirror to look into. The things that we need to be alive to, we ignore. The things that we need to be dead to, we give attention and energy to. And repentance is about simply saying, Lord, let the things that keep you awake keep me awake. And let the things that you don't worry about be the things that I don't worry about. What are those things in your life? What are you holding on to? What's holding on to you that God is just calling you to let go? What's keeping you up at night when God just wants you to sleep? And what are the things that you encounter in your day that may need to keep you up at night that you ignore? May the Lord give us the grace to be on the right track.